a few years ago, we were doing installs for a company called Kilowatt, and they were acquired by Clean Power Finance. And Clean Power Finance is run by Spruce Energy, headquartered in Texas. So they don't have a local partner to service their fleet of installs here in Arizona. And so, you know, once we've established partnerships with companies like this and we've built a reputation, we've become partners with other companies like Omnidian and Sunrun. We've become their local service provider here in Arizona. Market by market, the solar industry is crossing the chasm from early adopters to the early mass market. And one thing is clear. What got us here won't get us there. The days of installation crews doing their own service work are nearly non-existent. And today, customers expect more. The truth is, traditional operations and maintenance is, well, reactive. The future of solar is proactive. I'm Nico Johnson, host of Suncast, where I've interviewed hundreds of clean energy leaders in an effort to guide your career and company through this energy transformation. This is our latest educational series, and it's focused on how we can leverage the post-installation customer experience to move beyond simple O&M and find meaningful ways to delight and entice the next wave of clean energy enthusiasts through proactive engagement. In this penultimate episode of our series, we're going to dig into the scalability of service teams from the perspective of not one, but two long-serving leaders who've built installation, customer service, and operations and maintenance teams from scratch. First up, we'll hear from Angela Burke, who was a long-serving core team member at Namaste Solar before joining Pivot Energy to help them build out their service operations. Angela's teams have designed, built, and managed over 15,000 projects, so she's got a few stories and examples to share. Following Angela, we'll connect with Julie King, CEO of Harmon Electric, one of Arizona's longest-running solar installation companies. Julie explains how she and her husband transformed her father's legacy electrical contracting business into one of the most recognized installation and service organizations in the state, and why major IPPs trust Harmon to manage not just their installs, but their service calls as well. Whether you're experiencing the pains of a growing solar business or just starting out and want to learn from the pros, I hope you'll subscribe to the show and join in this important conversation as we explore the future of solar. The Beyond O&M series is a production of Suncast Media and is brought to you in partnership with Omnidian. Angela, first of all, I want to take a moment and welcome you to Suncast. It's long overdue. You have, obviously, friends in some of the same places, namely in Denver, as I do, and I'm glad to finally get a chance to chat with you here on Suncast. Thank you. Very <laughs> pleased to be here. Yeah. You know, something that we could spend a lot of time talking about your, what I think is remarkable track record of delivering value and determining, like finding your path, finding where you are meant to be operating. But something that really impresses me is not necessarily that you went to school for architecture or you once worked for Dow on their Apollo roofing product, but that you rose from a relatively frontline position to chairman of the board at a company that everybody in the industry respects and namaste. Could you talk a bit about the journey that you had for, what was it, seven or so years in that organization and what it taught you about customer service? 
Yeah, absolutely. I started at Namaste as a residential designer. I was using my AutoCAD skills that I had honed since middle school, honestly, and able to use those in a really actionable, you know, physical way of designing solar. Specifically, we had a contract with a new home builder and we're doing basically solar standard designs nationwide, Mm. including some communities right here in the Front Range in Colorado. So that was really satisfying to be able to drive past those communities and see, oh, I've done a hundred designs in this little cul-de-sac over here. That was really satisfying and really great. And moving from there, I transitioned and became the team lead for that team. Was very much a doing team manager, very much still in the workflow. But I think in that role specifically, I really cultivated my people management skills. And people management sounds like maybe not the best term necessarily, but I really enjoy supporting others Mm. and really enjoy finding connection points with individuals as well as their motivations for work and career growth, et cetera. Mm. So I think I really thrived in that role. We were building many things from scratch, moving from, I think my first year there, we did about 2000 designs. My last year on that team, we did 12,000. So it was significant growth. And consistently we had the highest employee engagement on that team and the most satisfied team members. And so to be able to go through that much growth and keep people really happy and really engaged and committed to their job roles, that combination felt just really great. That's something I'm very proud of. Looking back, like that may have been my favorite role at Namaste, (laughs) but I can't help but want the keys to the castle and be trusted with the keys to the castle. And so over time I transitioned and then moved on to support residential design, commercial design, and operations and maintenance, O&M. That was a big change as well. It was about 55 people total, which is a full company in many cases. Mm -hmm. But again, I really thrived in that people support realm and knowing each technician by name. What is their dog's name? What are they growing in their garden? And what ultimately are their motivations for work? And how are they balancing life and work to work towards their next license or their next milestone career-wise? So again, we had the highest, you know, employee retention rates and the highest engagement scores, all while doing really complex work across three really different teams. From there, so Namaste Solar is also an employee-owned cooperative, as well as a B Corp. So a lot of repeated themes have come over here at Pivot. But as an employee-owned cooperative, the board of directors is actually an elected group of co-owners of the company. And I was very honored and humbled to be elected to that board of directors, and then also elected to the board chair role. What a journey from the lead designer to the chairperson seat, you know, that that speaks a lot to not just your, as you said, you like to have the keys of the castle, but your ability to build trust with the stakeholders. And that's not just the employees, right? I have to imagine it also included countless examples of feedback from customers, right? Yep. You know, you said consistently high employee engagement for myself and others who don't routinely work inside of a normal company in that regard. 
How is employee engagement measured? So at Namaste and here at Pivot as well, we use a platform called Culture Amp, and we'll do basically biannual surveys of all employees. They are, it's not anonymous, they're confidential. So your name is not associated with your answers, but certain identifiers are. So which team are you on? What's your tenure, et cetera. And so those surveys are sent out. Every question also has space for comments. And it was always really revealing to tease out, you know, oh, this is maybe an issue right now and we can take action on it. We can build a plan and fix this pay gap that's maybe happening in a certain role or something like that. And yeah, ultimately it feeds pretty directly into turnover Yeah, and it takes a whole lot of time and effort to train up a brand new resource. Mm. And those teams, there was a lot of growth and movement of individuals between those teams and kind of building their skill set. But we always had a really strong bench of contributors. How did you retain them. This industry is synonymous with poaching. Once somebody gets good enough that they could hit a job anywhere, how did you engage that that retention model? I think that everyone has their own individual motivations. And thankfully, many of us in solar have some aligned motivations, you know, Mm -hmm. making an impact on the environment, being a part of the clean energy transition. There are certain kind of markers or goals that many of us have in common. Yeah. And each individual has their own other drivers. Mm-hmm. And so building that trust, understanding that this technician has two little ones at home and their partner is going back to school right now and they have a really full plate, understanding those motivations and working on a flexible schedule with them. Great way to retain that resource when they could easily jump somewhere else and maybe get a pay increase. Yeah. And we're no doubt being offered it because mm-hmm. Denver is a super competitive market. You mentioned something else that I want to key in on before I dig into your current work in O&M. You said that you were having to build many things from scratch. Can you give me an example? On that team at the time, that residential design team, we had an existing AutoCAD template, a design Mm. template, and I was empowered to kind of revamp that and start Mm. that from scratch, essentially. And so really changed the paradigm of how we were approaching each design and looked at it as a little more systematic. There's, of course, unique idiosyncrasies per home, but really systematize that template in a new way. Then we also transitioned to Salesforce and many of our kind of objects within Salesforce were hyper customized. Mm -hmm. And so I worked very closely with the IT team to build that out in a really robust way up front. And now that team uses the same platform and the same system. What a testament to it being done properly. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to put in that extra time and effort up front, but certainly worthwhile downstream. Anybody from sales and marketing who's listening can now has such a deeper level of respect still for the work that you do, knowing that you have gone through a customization process with Salesforce. SFDC is an animal in and of itself that requires a team of people spending way too many hours or way more than we thought it would. Right. Yeah. 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 You know, I love I love that you said you thrived in O&M and knowing each technician by name. Could you explain when you moved over to help the Pivot team grow and take on new challenges in your career, you had a blank slate. You could have mm-hmm. done anything. 
for Tom and team. Why O&M? Why have you really focused on that element of not just your career, but helping a company like Pivot grow? Well, I think O&M kind of industry-wide, I think there is an assumption that O&M is only a cost center for each site. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a real opportunity to shift that paradigm and to prove and to show that there's value add to each project with really carefully built out O&M plans and really well-executed O&M work. And the ability to do that at a B corporation and with a really values-aligned team supporting me, it is a blank slate again, which is a little scary sometimes, a little overwhelming perhaps, but I know that I have really aligned support and a different approach that we can take to building out this team. Mm. Angela, one thing that keeps coming across for me is just how in tune you are with the process and the shared experience, having come from the design team, having worked with the sales and install teams, having then built the O&M team. Talk a bit about the view from the both sides of the house. I mean, my question around why I go into O&M presumes that you've kind of addressed where you can serve best or where you are inspired the most. But talk a bit about problem solving and where opportunities exist right now for solar companies to improve their approach to customer service. From day one at Namaste, as a beginning residential designer, I always really made it a point to get to the office early, to be in by 6 a.m. or so, while the installers and technicians were arriving at the shop as well. Mm. And having that crossover time was really important to me, to build that empathy and understanding of what their day-to-day is. I don't personally have install or field experience in my background, and I wanted to make sure I took advantage of that connection point of having those installers and techs Mm -hmm. right next to me. Those, you know, breakfast burrito, morning coffee, grabbing a banana, those conversations Mm -hmm. were always really beneficial. Sometimes it was installers griping about a high pitch roof and that was what their job was for the day but I could then take that back to my team and walk through why a 30 pitch roof is not ideal and how can we move the array how can we make sure they have a safe place to tie in how do we make sure they have a better larger drop zone things like that and if it's difficult in the install it also is going to be difficult for 25 years of taking care of it yep exactly like it just leaves Mm. those breadcrumbs of headaches for years to come. So I always really enjoyed that. And then I think through COVID times that got even more amped up having daily morning check-ins with those technicians, talking through the best way to dispatch each day with this new world that we were living in. That was a lot of connection with those folks that was really helpful. And for me, a takeaway for anyone who would spend any time with you is really be a sponge and also be intentional about how and where you spend time in a way that you can get feedback and data to improve the overall process. And the core functionality of scaling a company is building processes. I think one of the interesting things for you is that now for the second time in your career, you're building from scratch again, an O&M platform. 
When you got to Pivot, could you explain to me sort of the state of the union for asset management and sort of the post-sales customer experience and where you saw the opportunity, not just at Pivot, but in the industry to begin to think about and institute best practices? So joining Pivot about 18 months ago, give or take, we're just heading into an acquisition process. And after that acquisition, we now have access to capital and ability to own our own assets. Stepping in day one to pivot, though, we did have over 100 existing built sites that we had O&M and monitoring obligations on. O&M, in many places, including here, it's a bit of a hot potato sometimes. And, you know, folks want to maybe heave it over the fence to the next person. And I was excited to take that over. Really dove in and did a deep data evaluation and kind of state of the union of those existing sites and have then been using those kind of legacy existing sites to inform our best practice processes moving forward. Now, as we begin to own sites, we've just begun construction on our community solar gardens in Illinois, as well as a handful in New York. And now I'm able to actually enact those best practices that I've learned from those first 120 or so sites and able to execute on our new owned sites in a really efficient, really clear way. Yeah. Is there an element of intellectual property that has been built into the process already at Pivot or that you are currently, so that you're building on top of or that you are helping put into place that helps you think about managing that customer experience, even if the customer is the internal team who's delivering on the project? So Omnidian, as one of our key partners to support our O&M team, completes active monitoring with really customized, really well-built-out AI capabilities. And that allows us to dispatch more intelligently to sites when we have corrective-reactive issues that come up. Internally, we do have Salesforce as our main platform, which is fairly out of the box with some customization for our team's specific needs. And then I am personally also working in some other smart sheets and other locations for really customized calculations for renewable energy credit or rec programs, production guarantees, other, you know, one-off what-if situations that are much more customized per site or per portfolio. Angela, you know, something that continues to baffle me is when I was building my own solar company in California, and for the companies that I've worked with that we've tried to build out more than a like multi-county or multi-city approach, is that every gall darn AHJ, authority having jurisdiction, the people that sign off on your permits, they're all different and they're persnickety and they have their own little things that they need. And I always wondered, if it's this hard for us to get permitting done like pre-sale, how in the world do companies like Pivot that are going nationwide, I would ask the same question probably of Sunrun and, and Snova and the, and the big sort of resi companies that are owning assets in multiple states. How, how do you think about the nationwide presence with hyper-local idiosyncratic processes that need to be taken care of project by project based on where, what county they're in? Forget what state. We at Pivot are tackling the same issue and the same headache. I think the most helpful thing is to have a nationwide view overall for development and to have 
processes in place that are really agnostic of the individual localized kind of differences. Mm. So I look at any rooftop as the same, whether it's a cash deal to the customer or a PPA. I look at ground mounts the same, whether they're community solar or have a direct off taker. And that's how we view the portfolio overall and how we contract and how we set up all of our systems, folders, etc. But then we rely on the hyper-localized field service network to actually dispatch locally Mm -hmm. and understand those AHJ needs. So I've had providers in Minnesota who go for a corrective, reactive dispatch to troubleshoot an inverter, and they flag and let me know that, hey, the snowshoes got us out to site, but there's some snow. And there's more snow coming this weekend. You're going to want to plow next week because the utility will require you to do so. So those really local knowledge bases are so helpful for us. And that's where we prefer that kind of smaller shop usually for our actual on the ground O&M services. That must be an unprecedented amount of work. Like did you hire someone internally just to go and build out the service network? So with our large volume of already existing sites and a continued ever-growing portfolio, we took a lot of time to research and dig into who the right partner would be for us, specifically to be able to take certain time-intensive tasks off of my plate so that I can work on strategy for the team. Through that process, we found a pretty small pool of providers that were checking the right boxes for us and were going beyond just kind of a single aggregated DAS platform, essentially. And as we narrowed that down, we really found that there was only one match for cultural alignment and values alignment. And We were really thrilled to see that the same kind of culture of care and transparency and commitment to triple bottom line B Corp practices, that that Mm -hmm. was all really Mm. living true with Omnidian, and we were very pleased to partner with them. Oh, that's cool. So I was going to pull that thread. It seemed like you were kind of talking about a B Corp kind of philosophy, as it were. Why is, for people who are totally unfamiliar, why is B Corp a really important aspect of the philosophical sort of the public benefit corporation why does that it's it costs you more money the same way that spending on o&m costs more money when it might not necessarily quote need to from a lot of folks perspective or thought process right yeah can you talk about the desire both through namaste pivot and it sounds like even omnidian one of your partners also like they are this idea of b corp is a prevalent common thread can you talk about that cultural alignment Yeah, absolutely. I think a key piece of being a B Corporation is that it is truly triple bottom line. Profit is one of those three because we do need to keep the lights on. But people and planet are equally held as equal stakeholders and equally the company is equally responsible to all three of those pieces. And having that more top of mind just day to day It plays out in a lot of really beneficial ways that I think make for a good employer and for a good partner. So with Omnidian, I think one key piece is 
just transparency, being comfortable saying no to each other mm. is really key so that we have a good positive overall working relationship. Right. And then just openness to sharing best practices, sharing the inverter war stories and all of that type of content. They're very open with that and definitely help to guide us to good decision making. And I think that's something that non B Corps hold those cards a little closer to the chest mm. and don't really want to share that all the time. I get it. That is a really interesting aspect that I hadn't thought about. And truly, when we think about being promise keepers and delivering on the performance that is guaranteed in our contracts and showing up for customers in ways that retain the customer and create additional follow on revenue through referrals, through additional sites. How you deliver on that promise is super important. And as I said before, like, like it must be a daunting task to actually aggregate a network of folks who aren't employees and they are, are incentivized in some way to respond when you have a, a field service need rather than you putting someone on a plane. Because this has been sort of the bane of growth for a lot of the companies. It is a big um, OPEX rather than something that is revenue generating. But it sounds like through the partnerships that you've developed and the systems that you've built at Pivot, you have found a path to where your custom O&M system can proactively see problems and send trusted field service folks into the fray on your behalf. Yep. And that is hugely impactful, especially on our community solar garden kind of side of the house, mm. being able to actually deliver on those promised generation numbers for those hundreds and thousands of subscribers is really key. And we're able now to more proactively message if there are outages that are unexpected. And we're able to give those end users, all of those subscribers, more empowerment and more education and understanding of exactly what that solar subscription means. Mm. Well, Angela, it really is truly remarkable to see how you, in a very short period of time, have created something that is not only reliable in terms of getting service where it's needed most in a timely manner, but scalable. And at the end of the day, if we're going to cross the chasm, we're going to reach the early majority and get beyond just the innovators who are willing to wait around for us and our processes to improve. We have to have these scalable systems and reliable service partners in the field that can help it happen. Thank you for illuminating for me how Pivot is making that happen in real time. Thank you. It was my pleasure today. Next, we'll hear from one of those local partners in the service network that Angela was referring to. Listen as Julie King of Harmon Electric talks on the value of a local service provider to help you scale your operations into new territories. I wanted to ask Julie in the outset, could you paint for me the vision of the family business that your dad created way back in the 70s? It was actually the early 70s. My dad, out of his garage, decided that he wanted to start his own business. He was working for the grocery store industry here in Arizona, and one of the grocery stores shut down. And so he decided to start his own service business, servicing grocery stores around the area. And it, it kind of started as a pretty small little, you know, my dad driving around in his truck servicing grocery stores. And it grew from there. And he became, started doing commercial electric work, continued the service work. That's kind of been the backbone of our company since 1975. But, you know, we morphed into commercial electric. Yeah. And then my dad 
successfully ran that business for another three decades. So in 2005, actually, my husband and I were both at a crossroads in our business, and my parents were looking for an out, actually. So on the drive home one day, I said to my husband, hey, you want to take over an electrical business? And we both kind of laughed and talked to my dad about it. And two weeks later, we were sitting in the business, learning about the business, and it just blossomed from there. For anyone who understands how the solar industry has grown in 2005, in almost all states, not just Arizona, there was a very nascent solar business generally. How did you grow this residential and commercial service business doing mostly electrical contracting work into what it is now today, a mainstay in the solar industry, both installing and servicing large-scale systems. You know, sometimes I say it's better to be lucky than good. We just happened to have a an employee who had just begun selling solar, and he had an installation team that he would go out and find, and really he wanted to use people's license. And so he asked us, and we said, no, you can't use our license, but let me tell you what, you sell it, we'll install it. So we started out installing, and... Again, it, it, that grew from, you know, one to two installations in a month to, you know, 30 to 40 installations in a month. So now since 2008, you all have begun to really focus on solar for a sense of scale. Are you doing several hundred kilowatts a year, several megawatts a year? More in the megawatt. Yeah, definitely more megawatt. And at what point did you start to see the trend of not just installations, but providing service for others in the industry became a need and something that you felt like you were really uniquely positioned to provide? That started probably the end of 2009, beginning of 2010. Obviously, we had systems out there that were an inverter would go bad and we'd have to go out and we'd have to RMA the inverter. And we saw a need that maybe there's other people that have that issue and their installers are no longer around. So we started looking for that. And when leasing became a big deal for a short while. Because people were kind of dropping into Arizona, selling systems and then disappearing. Correct. It's not just an issue in Arizona. This is something that happens, happened and continues in many states. Well, I'm curious, again, for a sense of scale here in 2022, more or less, and just on the kind of resi side, how many systems are we talking about a week that you guys are actually providing service for in the various networks that you service? 30 or more easily, easily 30 or more systems a week. Wow. That's fantastic. I can't not ask this. What are the most common issues or maybe the most common critical tasks that you guys are tasked with on these? In particular, we'll focus on residential for a minute, residential systems. Residential systems, inverters will go down. Um, really one of the only parts that have to be replaced. Uh, monitoring systems, go down. We'll have to go and check on that. And then I think our biggest is uh, people will have to get their roofs replaced. So we have to remove the solar so they can get the roof repaired, redone, and then we have to put the solar back on. That I think is going to be an enormous part of your business moving forward because there's, especially as you're moving into commercial, I'm curious, is it different for commercial in terms of the the points of failure? Uh, Well, we don't notice the the roof issues, a lot of our commercial systems are parking structures. Yeah, inverters and monitoring tend to be 
or on the parking structures, uh, semi-trucks running into parking structures. So having to repair that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) I could see that being an issue for sure. What do you think people get wrong about the complexity of providing the actual boots on the ground service and turning the wrenches, right? You are the tip of the spear. You're the last line of defense. When we talk about making the promise and keeping the promise at the end of the day, it's Harmon Electric that's keeping the promise. What do you think is most misunderstood about that role? So I think our, you know, you have to have an, an expert out there who knows the system, who knows each of the different components and all the different manufacturers. And there are a lot of different inverters out there. So when you get out to a system, you have to know who to call, what to look for, what to test for. And people don't understand that, you know, it's just an inverter, take it out and replace it, call the guy and fix it. There's a little bit more to it because you know, you can get the inverter restarted and it can be working. You might not have to replace it. That's a really interesting nuance. I have to imagine that internally you've cultivated this this group of experts and lots of different technologies over the years. People that started out in the installation group and have moved over to service as they've become more knowledgeable and we rely on them to know the You know, we have experts in the commercial side, experts in the residential side, and people that can do both. And that's important. And it's taken us years to get there. And we want to keep those people and keep cultivating that in our service department, getting people to that expert level. Speaking of service department, what do you consider to be the most important part or aspect of building customer service as a service, as a department that others can outsource to you? Um, You know, I think we're you have to have a good team that is the front, the front line that answers the phone that can, you know, talk a customer off the ledge, be able to talk them through some troubleshooting things, and then, you know, schedule and try to get them on the schedule and just keep them calm. That's really important. Having partners that send us referrals or send us customers that can also do that and understand the same things we're going through. We really want the customer to be happy in the end. Yeah, it sounds like um, a little bit of what you were touching on there in terms of building or having partners is a bit of cultural fit. Can you talk about the importance of cultural alignment when you think about how you choose who you work with? It's really important for us that both businesses have the same ideas and we're we're striving for the same thing. So we try to align ourselves with people who run their business the same way, who have the same values, who have the same, again, culture. And for us in the service department, you know, we want to make the customer happy, but we want to, we want to do the right thing for everybody involved. That's not always the easiest thing. It's not always the cheapest thing. And having partners that understand that and are aligned with that is important because that's how we can come together and make the customer happy. If we're on odd, if we're at odds with each other, then it, it doesn't work as a partnership. Do you provide service for peers in the industry, multiple companies? So there are other installation companies and most installation companies have a small service that service their own installations. When we get to service other installers' products is typically when they go out of business and mm-hmm. the customer doesn't have anybody to go to for their inverter down or monitoring issue. Okay, Nico, I'm going to give you an example. A few years ago, we were doing installs for a company called Kilowatt, and they were acquired by Clean Power Finance. And Clean Power Finance is run by Spruce Energy, headquartered in Texas. 
So they don't have a local partner to service their fleet of installs here in Arizona. And we became their local partner in Arizona. And so, you know, once we've established partnerships with companies like this, and we've built a reputation, we've become partners with other companies like Omnidian and Sunrun. We've become their local service provider here in Arizona. It makes perfect sense because you have developed the reputation in the marketplace as the go-to person when when something breaks or when someone needs an install. You know, I can imagine you've been able to, you've found a number of examples in the, in the over the years where it pays to be the local partner uh, where folks maybe just don't understand the intricacies of how each local uh, jurisdiction handles situations. Yeah, and, and for example, if we're going to do a removal and reinstall, and you're, every jurisdiction is a little bit different. Some may require a permit, some may not require a permit. Some may have different setbacks. Um, and once you remove a system, if you have to have a permit, you have to abide by the new setback rules. So we have to know all of these things intimately. And because we're working in all of these jurisdictions all the time, we know what to do. If somebody from the outside came in, they may not know what it would take a little bit more time and effort. And, you know, that that's what we're here for. It ex- expedites the process and facilitates with ex- expert knowledge. It's, uh, it is often worth paying for and paying more than uh, you might get uh, if you were to put something out to bid. You have a saying that I see on your website that I wanted to tease out here. And uh, it says, I value truth and ownership with everything. It is important that people feel a sense of ownership in the things they choose to do. How does this work its way into the culture of Harmon? So I think it's important that everybody, especially um, for our employees in their job, they own what they do. And then they also get to take ownership of all of the, you know, the things that are good that happen. But they also have to take ownership with, you know, all of the mistakes that are made. And by doing that, I think people just have a much better sense of family and, you know, they belong here. That's how we have some of the best employees, some of the best experts. People have been around for, you know, 15 years, 12 years, 10 years. As uh, we have enunciated here, you've built the boots on the ground interface to keep that promise with the end customer. It's what uh, Sunrun, Spruce, and Omnidian and many others trust you for. Uh, What does that mean to you to be the promise keeper at the end of the day? Um, I I think that's why we do what we do. It, It makes us feel like it makes us feel important, first of all, but it also makes us feel like, you know, we're we're doing what we say. And, and one of our values is, you know, you, we, we do the right thing. We do what we say. We own it. So it really makes me very proud of everybody that works here and all of our employees for going out and exuding that, all of that same, the values. You've mentioned values a couple of times here, and I want to, you've done a tremendous job building out on the vision of your parents, you know, three decades experience. Your website suggests something like 3000% growth, uh, which itself is a testament to your ability to hone in on what is working and build the craft. Can you talk about customer care? When you think about scaling your business, how does customer care come into view? You know, one of the things that we do is we're really willing to take on some of the tougher clients. And, you know, we have an an amazing staff that 
you know, when customers call in, they can really help to de-escalate a situation. And, you know, here's a great example. You know, we have a customer um, calls in, their solar has not been working and, you know, they get their electric bill and they're just really unhappy. And of course, we're the first line of defense. So they're really unhappy and we have to take, you know, we have to take them aside and say, okay, let's take a look and let's find out what's happening. And just by going through a few question and answers, we're able to get the customer on the, okay, now what do we do to get it fixed? And then we can, you know, either we have to schedule an appointment, we need to go out and take a look. Sometimes we can take a look at their inverter remotely, walk them through the monitoring process and how they check their solar every month. Okay, so, you know, we had a specific customer that called in that was having some trouble with some leaking on on her roof. And so we went out and we took a look and and it was actually one of our own installs and it was a couple years old and and we noticed that there were some issues with the installs. It's a lot of cost, but we had to take the panels off. We had to fix the install and we had to fix the patio and she was not happy and we owned it. We, We owned it. We fixed it. We painted her patio for her. We replaced her pool fence for her, not just out of the goodness of our heart, but it was one of those things where those are the things that we needed to do because of the mistake that was made on the solar install. We had to fix it. You know, Julie, I think that uh, it's inevitable as you build a business, as you grow 3000%, you start thinking outside of your own borders. It is why people reach out to you in Arizona because they're moving into the state from other states. Surely you are thinking about a future where Harmon has a bigger impact than the local market that you've been serving. And I'd love to hear how you have begun to think as the CEO about leveraging uh, the available technology and partnerships to give your own service the ability to scale beyond the current borders and the future that you look for for your business. Certainly, we are exploring right now, moving into different markets with our different partners, partners like Omnidian, Sunrun, possibly they need service partners in different markets. And it's our job to, you know, find the experts in that local market to help us, but also to utilize the technology that's out there. A lot of systems are getting sold with monitoring, active monitoring. And if somebody is actively monitoring the system, they can call the customer first and say, hey, something's wrong with your system. I'm going to send a service tech from our local partner out there to take a look at. So that's what we're exploring right now. I've heard it referred to as active and proactive even because uh, the technology now exists to allow the company providing the monitoring service to, to know ahead or anticipate the needs of the client. And that truly is a part of kind of how solar is evolving, isn't it? Yes. I believe that keeping customers and growing the industry into the mainstream is really about keeping the promises that we've been making as an industry so that one neighbor tells the other, one business tells his friend. Your business shows that not only do these projects, these solar systems need care and maintenance ongoing to the chagrin of the many homeowners and business owners, Uh, and salespeople who believed the promise that there were no moving parts. But we have to think differently about how that service is delivered. With that in mind, as we wrap, I'd love to know, how do we go beyond O&M? Tell me your vision for the future of solar and how we will attract the next 30% of the early majority who are waiting to see that solar is ready for prime time. Yeah, I think um, the future, like you just said, is, is not only actively monitoring, but proactively monitoring and really taking a look at you know, what's out there and having the conversation with the customer before the customer 
is angry. Um, you know, knowing that you're purchasing this system and it's, it's a nice chunk of change that you're putting on your home and somebody's going to make sure that it's working for you. And if it's not, somebody's going to come out and really take care of you and, and get it up and running so that you're getting the product that you were promised. Nico, just imagine if in the example, um, either of the examples I've talked about before, we were able to proactively call that customer and say, hey, we're noticing that there's something wrong with the system or it may go out. Uh, we're going to send someone out to take a look at it now. And we took the proactive approach and fixed it before she had to notice or be told that there was something wrong. Yeah. What a difference it makes when you can delight the customer and even surprise them that you're already on top of what they didn't know was a problem rather than how many industries, not just solar, treat customer service, which is we'll just wait around. They'll let us know if there's something wrong and we'll send somebody out after we've created a customer service ticket and all the trappings that come along with uh, kind of the the old way of thinking about customer service. Well, Julie, it seems clear to me that Harmon Electric under your guidance has created the type of culture and a company that the modern solar industry will rely on to provide ongoing service and keep our promises. The many, the many, many customers that we hope to onboard uh, in this next uh, evolution of the solar industry. Thank you for shining a light on what is possible. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode in this six-part series exploring the future of solar from the Promise Keepers, helping the solar industry cross the chasm and reach mass market success. Many thanks to the expert contributors sharing their insights in this series, and to our partner Omnidian, who helped make it possible. Here's a quick peek at what's coming in the next episode. All the things that ultimately wouldn't sustain the industry long-term, that was the real issue. And Mark and I had a meeting of the minds. And we agreed that we weren't selling things. We were selling an experience and we agreed that the only thing ultimately that we were selling is trust. I hope you'll subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and check us out on the web at mysuncast.com forward slash future of solar, where you can learn more about each guest and dig into the references highlighted in today's conversation. If you're completely unfamiliar with Suncast, well, I'm honored that you've listened all the way through this episode. I've interviewed hundreds of founders, leaders, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs in the clean energy industry over the last seven years in an effort to help you figure out exactly where you fit in the clean energy transition. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to give other Suncast episodes a listen. It's the most comprehensive podcast in existence documenting the rise of the solar and clean energy revolution from the voices of the leaders brave enough to stand on the front lines. Beyond O&M, the future of solar is a production of Suncast Media and is brought to you by Omnidian. They'd also love to partner with you in scaling your solar business. Find out how by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash future of solar. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.